Thank you, Bert. Uh, thanks for putting my phone number on the screen, by the way, just before I preach. Uh, so if you guys want to text real-time feedback, I'll just uh, I'll get it on my iPad. And you, can, uh, you can just let me know if it's going well. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to read Acts 2 um, in a little bit, but um, before we do, we kind of need to understand what's, what's happening uh, in the story before we kind of jump in with that. Um, and actually, talking about life groups, um, this essentially was the first life group that, that we have. We've got the disciples um, and we've got Jesus. So just before we read Acts chapter 2, um, uh, I want to have a look at uh, the last kind of chapter of Luke, um, which is just before Acts, Acts takes place. And um, Jesus has died, he's risen from the dead, um, and he is about to ascend into heaven. Um, and he says this to his, uh, to his disciples. This is, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So, um, when we, when we catch up with the story in Acts 2, um, this is the kind of state that they've been left in. Jesus has, has um, given them a mission, right? He's, he's given them uh, this job to be witnesses um, to, uh, and to preach the, the forgiveness of sins um, and, and repentance. Um, that's kind of a reminder. That's the whole point of the kingdom vision that we've been talking about. Um, Jesus has come so that God can be restored with his, uh, with his people, so that so that there can be um, forgiveness and, and reconciliation, right? Uh, fixing this community that, uh, that's been broken by our sin. Um, so uh, we get kind of a little bit more um, of, a, of an explanation in Acts chapter 1, um, which is literally, uh, if you know, uh, Luke and Acts are written kind of as a pair. So we have the last chapter of Luke and then the first chapter of Acts. Um, it's kind of the, the, same, uh, the same narrative, the same story. So um, we have this. Uh, when they come together... They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So um, the, the context of uh, the Messiah, the idea of the Messiah um, in, in traditional kind of um, Jewish that tradition was the idea that there was this kind of um, this warrior king who would come back and he would physically defeat the Romans and take back um, Jerusalem, take back Israel, so that there could be a nation of God on earth again. Um, and that's, I don't think the disciples are thinking that at this point because they've got to know Jesus, and Jesus has shown that that's not the kind of uh, kingdom that he's coming to, to build. Um, but there's still kind of this sense of, of triumph that, that they thought all was lost, Jesus has died, and then he rises from the dead and then. And they're uh, and they're they're triumphant and they're celebrating with him. Um, and they ask him this question, like, uh, like, what's going to happen? When are you going to restore the kingdom? And and he kind of says, well, actually, uh, don't worry about that. I'm going to go away. Um, but you guys just um, just take the message out to everyone, to the whole world, not just the Jews, but everyone. Um, and like, so these these guys, they've lost their leader. Their leader is. Uh, is the one with the vision, and um, all we've got left are these these fishermen, right? These tax collectors. We've got um, people that deny that they know Jesus, like Peter, and we've got uh, doubters, like like Thomas. People that that, that struggle, um, and so they've been left with this mission, but without uh, direction, without a leader. Um, when I was teaching, uh, there was something that I guess uh, a lot of us have probably struggled with. Um, I don't know if you've heard of imposter syndrome. Um, but it's essentially this idea that, uh, that you are not uh, actually good at what you do. 
uh, that, that you feel like at any moment someone's going to point out, you're really not good at that. Why are you here? What are you doing? Um, and you know, like, I, I was teaching for six years. I had my teaching qualifications. I had uh, past exam results that I could look back on and see how well my students did. Um, but I constantly felt like there was this level of judgment, um, like, that, that one day someone would come to me, like, my manager would just be like, you're not very good. Stop teaching. Like, just, just leave. Um, I think everyone, in my school at least, a lot of teachers felt that. It wasn't just uh, like, te- like the kids that were walking around going, oh yeah, so-and-so can't, like you'd hear them in the corridor, like so-and-so can't teach, I don't like that teacher, he's not very good. Um, it wasn't just that, but it was kind of the management would, would come and they would, uh, they would assess us, but the feedback that they gave us wasn't really um, constructive. It was just, here's why you're not very good. Here's why you're not doing well. Let me pick apart every little thing. It doesn't matter if your students have actually learned something today. Let me tell you why that lesson wasn't very good. Um, so I know that this isn't just me that, that experiences this. Um, apparently, 70% of people um, experience this at some point in something in their job or, or in, their, in their life at, um, at any other point. And I think probably the disciples probably had this same feeling, right? They, they, were, they were left without a leader, and, and Jesus just tells them, Hey, go. Don't just tell the people in, in, uh, in Israel like, like we've been doing while I'm here. Go and tell everyone. Take, take out the message to everyone. Uh, preach this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins, but I'm not going to be here. Um, so that's kind of the point that we're at when we, uh, when we go into Acts 2. They're told to wait. They're not told to go out and do it by themselves. They're told to wait um, so that the Holy Spirit can come in power. So um, let's have a look at the first four verses of, of Acts chapter 2. We're going to kind of walk through this chapter. Um, there's so much in these, uh, what's going on here. I don't think it's uh, just a straightforward story. There's, there's so much um, depth that we can find. So we're going to try and kind of pull it out as, as, we, uh, as we go through. So the first four um, verses of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So just in these first four verses, we've got tons of symbolism. Um, I don't pretend to be uh, like a, a Greek scholar, but, um, but actually uh, I think there's stuff that we can pull out of this. Uh, so we're going to kind of look at it verse by verse. So verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Pentecost is... Um, is uh, it comes from this Old Testament um, celebration, this Old Testament festival called the Feast of Weeks. And the point of the Feast of Weeks, there was two things. There was thanksgiving, um, saying thank you for what God provided. Um, this this uh, is to remember kind of the time when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they were, um, they were surviving in the desert. God had provided them with manna. Um, so the first part of the Feast of Weeks is to remember what God's provided in the past. And the second part is to kind of sacrifice and to hope and to pray um, for a a good future harvest. And so I think the fact that this happens at Pentecost is really important. The disciples are remembering all of the good things that Jesus has done. They're remembering that they're joyful because Jesus has risen from the dead and he's come back and there's no doubt that that he is who he says he is. Um, And at the same time, they're they're really expectant for what's going to come next. So I think it's, it's really significant that this happened at Pentecost, at the Feast of Weeks. Um, and I reckon probably the Jews that hear the, the events that happen, they probably have a similar sense of, oh, this is a time of expectancy, and now this is when uh, some things come. I think, I think the, 
the message was all the more significant because it happened at Pentecost. Um, so the day of Pentecost arrived, and they were all together in one place. I think this is important as well. Uh, this theme occurs multiple times throughout this, this chapter, um, that it's all of the disciples. It's not just like a select few. It's not just Peter received a special anointing or anything like that. It's all of the disciples. They all experience the same thing. Um, this is for all of Jesus' followers, not just, uh, not just a specific few of them. Uh, verse 2. Suddenly they came from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. I was going to start like giving you Greek words, but um, someone told me that they find that really like obnoxious in sermons. So I'm not going to tell you what the Greek is for, uh, for these words, um, but I've looked briefly into it. Um, this phrase, a mighty rushing wind, actually, when I read this, when I've read this passage in the past, it, um, it suggested just kind of like a a strong breeze, you know, like something that might like knock, knock something over in your house, maybe like ruffle some papers. But actually, um, it can be translated as violent. Um, and to me, that, that evokes an image of like a hurricane or a tornado. Um, we don't know if it's an actual hurricane. It says um, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Maybe it was. Maybe it was just the sound. Um, I don't think that's particularly important. The important thing is Jesus said that the power of the Holy Spirit would come on them. And there's no doubt that this uh, imagery, this experience, would be a powerful one, right? Like, it's not just like, oh, something like a breeze came through. Was, did you feel something? Was that the Holy Spirit? It's, there was no doubt that um, what they experienced was, uh, was from heaven. Um, and then we have this, this bit. It filled the entire house. Now, that could just be like the sound is just really loud in the house. Um, but actually, this word filled um, can also mean fulfilled or completed, um, and this word house, the only Greek word I'm going to give you, oikos, we've used this word before. We have, we've had oikos services. And if you remember, oikos doesn't just mean a physical house, but it means like a household. So we have this sense that the Holy Spirit could be filling the, the room physically, but also he's like fulfilling. He's also um, kind of completing the potential that the household, that the gathering of disciples have. It's not just uh, he's in this place, but it, he's in this group of people, this life group, this, this fellowship of people, and he's filling them up. He's fulfilling their potential. Verse 3, uh, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Uh, so flames are traditionally in the, in the Old Testament used to indicate the presence of God. Um, and we have these tongues of flames that are divided among them. And I think um, the fact that they're divided kind of, uh, to me at least, suggests that the Holy Spirit is coming on them specifically, on, on these individual people. We see a bit later that um, they speak in different languages. Um, and so the Holy Spirit comes on everyone, but he comes, and maybe his gifts that he gives to these disciples uh, are different. Um, maybe, maybe some speak one language and some speak another language. And verse 4, um, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So that we'll, we'll read verse 5 in a second, but the other tongues that we have here um, are other languages. Um, what the Spirit is doing here is he's doing something that's absolutely necessary um, for the disciples to be able to complete their mission. If they've been told to go and take this message out, that they need to be able to communicate that message with the people that are there. And we'll see in a minute that there's people from all over the place, uh, people that speak lots of different languages. Um, so what we have here is this, this, this encounter with the Spirit is not just um, a miraculous thing that disciples experience by themselves. It's not just there for the experience's sake. Um, 
but actually it's there for a specific reason. It's, it's there to help them uh, achieve their, their mission. And so just to summarize these verses uh, very quickly before we move on. So the Holy Spirit comes on all of the disciples. It's not just a few of them. Uh, and when he does, he, he, fu- he fills up this ministry. He fulfills their potential. Um, it's something that, uh, that they're not going to be able to do by themselves. He gives them uh, maybe a different gift, um, different languages, um, and he comes specifically to help them witness to the gospel. He doesn't just come for a nice, fuzzy feeling. So maybe, uh, I don't know, for, for us, um, well, definitely for us, we're not in uh, first century uh, Jerusalem, uh, the circumstances of, uh, of our mission are going to be different. Um, maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit will, will give us the gift uh, to speak in different languages, but maybe there's a different gift um, that he'll give us. Um, but just a question that I want you to think about as we go through this. Um, are you letting the Holy Spirit um, guide you, like it says here, um, the Holy Spirit um, gave, gave them utterance. He gave them uh, the words to say, the, the actions to take. Are you letting the Holy Spirit do that? Are you waiting for the Holy Spirit like the, uh, like the, the disciples are doing there? They've been given this mission, but they don't go until, until they've uh, had the Holy Spirit come on them. So just, just have, a, have a think about those questions as we go through. Do you let the Holy Spirit guide you, and are you waiting for the Holy Spirit? Uh, we're going to move on. We'll have a look at uh, the next part of the passage. So Acts, uh, Acts 2, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were astonished and amazed, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty work of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others said, they are filled with new wine. So um, when we kind of started this series, um, I talked about Abraham, uh, or Abram and the the descendants of Abraham being promised, um, this promise all the way back in Genesis. Uh, And God promised them that they would be a blessing to the world. And... uh, we, we have this promise taking place, if you remember, it's in Genesis 12. Right before that, um, we hear the story of the Tower of Babel, where we've got all these people from all over the place coming together, and they're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to make um, a, a, a city that says how good they are individually. Um, and in that story, God uh, stops that by confusing their languages, by making sure that they can't all speak this, this common language. Um, I think this is like an amazing symmetry that we have the Tower of Babel, the, the, the kind of break, splitting up of, of the people through their languages. And then here in Acts, we have uh, the Holy Spirit kind of bringing everyone together so that actually language isn't a barrier anymore, so that they can all come and hear um, the message. We kind of have this promise that Abraham says that the nations are going to be blessed, and the nations are blessed through Jesus. And then immediately after that, we kind of have the undoing of the Tower of Babel. Um, we have uh, this kind of... this this gradual restoration of, uh, of the kingdom vision, the idea that, that God originally had for uh, his people 
in the Garden of Eden, uh, it's all kind of coming back together. Um, I think that's, that's a really awesome kind of way to, to look at this passage. Um, that's, I think that's the reason why uh, this, this was kind of the first experience of the Holy Spirit after Jesus had ascended. Um, so that's essentially what we have. The Holy Spirit's here, and he's started um, fulfilling this, this commission that Jesus has, has given to his disciples. Um, the gospel message needs to be taken out to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the, to the whole world. And actually, what better place to do that than uh, with all these people who, have, who are living in Jerusalem from all over the place? Uh, the, the actual first act of evangelism that we see here after Jesus has, has ascended is to people from Jerusalem, people uh, who are Jewish, visitors from Rome, it says, um, and they're from all over the place. So, like I said before, this power has a strong, like a clear action associated with it. It's not just coming so that the disciples can talk to each other in, in lots of different languages. Um, that, that's not the point. The point is so that they can uh, take the message out. But actually, that's not enough, right? It's not enough for, for the, the people in Jerusalem to just hear these, uh, these disciples, these um, these people from Galilee speaking in their languages. That's miraculous. They're amazed, right? Um, but they don't just stop there. They, they ask, what does this mean? They can't just leave it like that. They can't just say, oh, yeah, I can speak in all these languages and then just, just leave it. They have to explain uh, what's going on. They have to point things back to Jesus. Um, and we see kind of that last verse here. Um, Others mocking said they are filled with new wine. We had this, this last week in Bert's message um, with the healing of the blind man. There were these people, these neighbors that knew uh, the blind man uh, and they refused to believe that he'd been healed because it didn't fit with, um, with their understanding of things. Um, and honestly, if I, uh, if I think about maybe some modern-day uh, experiences that I hear people talk about of the Holy Spirit, maybe not people that are close to me, but maybe you hear, oh, did you, did you see this video on YouTube or, or something like that, or my friend's friend, friend experienced this. Sometimes I'm a bit skeptical about uh, about different maybe uh, manifestations of the spirit, you know, but um, it's not about uh, believing them or not, actually, because I believe that God can do anything. I believe that the Holy Spirit is here um, on earth that He He fills us, um, and actually, so maybe we shouldn't be so skeptical. Um, maybe we should actually put more trust in in these uh, these miracles, in this power that comes from. Uh, from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, right? Like, so um, another question for us, um, do we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to do the miraculous? Do we really trust that that's going to happen uh, just like it did here? Uh, or, or do we kind of just dismiss things as, um, oh, maybe, maybe that was the Holy Spirit, but I don't know. Um, maybe we should trust him more. Uh, we're going to move on because this is quite a long passage. Um, so, uh, so these people have been amazed. They've understood that something miraculous is happening, and then they ask what's going on. So this is the response. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. 
Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through, uh, through him in your midst. As you, sorry, as you yourselves know. Are we here? Yes. Um, as you yourself know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Um, later on, we have a, a really similar um, uh, explanation from Peter in verse 32. I haven't got it on the, on the screen, but you can have a look if you're, uh, if you're following along. He says again, this, Je- this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this so that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So I think for the disciples, imagine what it would be like for the disciples. They've been told that Jesus is, is, uh, is, is going to send the Holy Spirit. They've been told to wait in Jerusalem. Um, they've been told to take out this message. Um, and then they experience this, and there's no doubt in their minds, I guess, that, um, that what he said is, has come true. Like They know that this is the time that they can start taking the message out to everyone, to the whole um, of the, the world, right? Um, but I think Peter knew, or maybe the Spirit told him, that uh, actually for the people listening to this message, uh, they didn't mes- necessarily hear Jesus' words before he, um, before he descended. Um, they needed uh, some more kind of evidence of what was going on. And so he gives them this Old Testament prophecy uh, from the book of Joel. Um, and we kind of get this idea that the... That the um, where are we? Yeah. Uh, that we have the Spirit being poured out in the last days... Um, we see in Acts 2, we see these, these wonders from heaven. We see these signs on earth. Um, I think, I think uh, the, the signs that we see are the Holy Spirit uh, himself, this, this rushing, this fire. Um, and the, the wonders that we see are this, this ability to speak, this miraculous ability to speak um, in all the languages that the audience speak. Um, and so he, Peter's using this, this passage to explain uh, to give some uh, some credibility to what's happening, he's saying, "Look, this we knew that this was going to happen. It said in the Old Testament, we have this proof." Um, but actually, the prophecy doesn't end there. Um, it's not just all these um, the gifts of the Spirit will come, people will prophesy, people will, will dream dreams and see visions. But we have more, right? We have this warning that there's going to be um, there's going to be uh, blood and fire and smoke. Uh, the day of the Lord. Um, is going to be, it says, great and magnificent, but it'll also be a day of judgment. So I think the idea of these last days uh, is like, it's not something to be glossed over. I think for the, for the people listening to this message, there's something significant about what they're being told here. The Holy Spirit, or the gift of the Spirit, um, the speaking in tongues is there to point them towards, oh yeah, this is what's happening. And yeah, these are the last days. Um, this isn't what, uh, anyone was excited. It wasn't what the disciples, I think, were originally expecting before they knew Jesus. Um, this is kind of a new stage in the kingdom of God. Um, 
and even then, the prophecy is not complete right. It's not just all judgment and doom and gloom. Actually, this last verse here on the screen. Um, Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not just for the, the, for the devout. It's not just for the Pharisees, the people that are ceremonially clean. It's not just for the Jews as a whole people. It's for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord to be saved. And Peter wants this message to, to lead to the saving of these people. The disciples aren't like keeping their experience of the Holy Spirit or their gifts hidden. They're not showing off with them to each other or, uh, or out in public. The purpose of these gifts, the purpose of uh, being filled with the Spirit here is so that they can tell the people about Jesus, so that they can tell them about salvation. And so that means that this, even this can't be the end of the message, right? There has to be more um, that, that happens. Just uh, think again, another question, um, before we look at the last bit of the passage. Um, is the fruit of your gifts... Is it pointing to the gospel, or are you seeking gifts that, uh, that point to the gospel? Or are you seeking gifts for the sake of having a gift or of an experience? So uh, we're going to skip ahead a bit um, to verse 37. Now, when they heard this, when the people heard the, um, the message of Peter, it says they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continues to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added to the day, added that day, about 3,000 souls. The entire point of Jesus' commission to the disciples is to go and make more disciples. He wants people to repent so that they can follow him, so that they can be in a relationship with him, so that he can restore uh, his people. Peter's not giving them like a really complicated series of hoops to jump through. It's really simple. Repent, be baptized, um, you will be saved and you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, later on when we talk about, uh, when, we, when we read about the Holy Spirit, maybe in, in the rest of the New Testament, in Paul's letters, in, like in Corinthians especially, uh, we see that maybe the church doesn't always deal with the gifts of the Spirit in the right way. It's very easy for them to, to kind of get hooked up on, uh, on power, on abusing these gifts, on having these gifts for the sake of having them. But here in, in Acts 2, the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit, um, actually it's really clear what the, what the, what the purpose is, right? The, the Spirit is here to enable the people to hear the gospel and repent. That is, that is what the Holy Spirit has come upon the disciples for. And it's clearly convinced these people, right? The, the people are cut to the heart. They're not asking questions about, oh, I really want to learn how to speak in another language. Can you show me how to get that? They're not seeking the power. They're seeking uh, salvation, right? They're seeking, they know that, oh, it's the last days. Judgment is coming. How can we be saved? That's what they're looking for. I think it's amazing that actually we have these 12 disciples at the start of the day 
Um, there were others, right? Like there were, there were other followers of Jesus who weren't the 12. But we had these 12 disciples um, who we know were there. And at the end of the day, they've grown by 3,000 in one day. This is like the viral marketing campaign of, of the first century, right? Uh, because every new convert, it says, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so every one of those 3,000 has the ability to then go and effectively take this message to another group of people. The Holy Spirit is for everyone because that's how we're going to spread the message of the gospel. It's not through, uh, through convincing arguments. It's through the Holy Spirit. Um, in the news this week, uh, we've, we've heard a lot about Extinction Rebellion, this climate, this environmental group. Um, and what they've been doing is essentially just disrupting, uh, protesting, but disrupting um, traffic and disrupting life uh, around London. Right? They're, they're super motivated because they believe that there's a climate emergency. Uh, they want people to stop and take notice. Um, they're so committed that they've got people that are um, like lined up to be arrested. When, when one person gets arrested, another person comes and takes their place. Um, but their measures, if you've, if you've been paying attention to the news, uh, have not gone down very well with, uh, with some people. Right? They've, they've, they've wanted to get attention. They've been, uh, they've been doing this. Um, on Wednesday, they, uh, they stopped some public transport from running, which kind of seems counter to what they want people to be doing, right? Like, they, they want people to not be driving cars, uh, so why are, you, why are you holding up public transport? But what they have done is they've got people talking about uh, climate change, at least. Um, they've, they've brought together this highly organized, this highly um, complicated logistic um, team to, to make sure that they can uh, keep protesting um, wherever they are. And uh, whatever we think about their methods, whatever we think about what they're actually doing, um, they're, they're putting their message across, right? But actually, are they putting their message across? We're talking about climate change, but are the people that need to hear it um, actually listening to it? I don't know, because uh, often you see them complaining about how, oh, these people are inconsiderate and they've, they've stopped me getting to work. Actually, is that, are they actually being effective in their in their message. This is a group of people that have thought about and planned and had time to, to put their logistics together. Now think about the disciples being left um, alone when Jesus ascends, these fishermen and tax collectors. The, te- the temple, the, the priests, the Pharisees have probably already kind of tagged them as troublemakers. They're not going to listen to them. They're not going to have them kind of uh, sharing this message because like, they're associated with Jesus, this thing that they see as maybe a cult. We've got these people who don't have um, training in social media or viral marketing. Um, how, how could they possibly have a chance of, of doing what Jesus has asked them to do, to spread the message to the whole world? They can't even speak the language of these Jews that are, that are in the city, let alone go out to, to everywhere, go out to places that have yet to be discovered. It's through the Holy Spirit, right? So... Uh, Actually, this whole passage, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the church, the, the first sermon that Peter gives after Jesus' ascension, the, the response of the people, the 3,000 that are saved. Actually, this passage is a, is a blueprint for how the church should work. It's God's kingdom vision for, um, for this kind of phase of, uh, of eternity, this, this time where Jesus has come, he's risen, um, but he's not come back. So we don't have these, this collection of trained professionals um, organizing themselves, um, setting out to do the jobs that they've been doing, ticking off tasks. Um, we actually just see these commoners, these people that are um, 
probably pretty low in their standing in society. Um, and they're the ones that are responsible for, for this message. There's no way that they could do it by themselves. There's no way that, um, that we could deny that the Holy Spirit exists and, and has been working here, right? Everything in this chapter has been down to the Holy Spirit. The disciples are just waiting. They're, they're doing nothing. Um, when he comes, he's the one that, that fills them up, that, that gives them, fills up their ministry, tops it up, uh, fulfills it, however we want to see it. He uh, gives them the right words to say. He, he directs their utterances. He draws people in so that they can hear this message. Uh, he gives them the power, the miraculous power to speak in these foreign languages. His presence is, uh, is the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. Uh, while I was kind of uh, preparing for this the last couple of weeks, I was speaking to a friend, and, and they said, um, like, why don't we always treat the Holy Spirit with the same kind of weight, the same reverence as, as, uh, as the Father and the Son? And I think part of it is because, like, Jesus is a man, right? We, we, we can picture, we've seen, not accurate, but we've seen drawings of Jesus. Um, we understand what a man is, like, we understand uh, kind of what his job was as well. Um, and the Father... Maybe he's a bit harder to, to kind of picture, but we know that he is the creator. We know that he's, um, he's the judge. And instead, we kind of left with the Holy Spirit as this like, mysterious force, this, this being that we don't uh, understand, that, that it's difficult to see. Um, and maybe that's because we're focused on trying to understand how certain gifts work, how how does exactly does the Holy Spirit, when does the Holy Spirit come? Is it when we get baptized in water? Do we have to have something else? Is there, well, how does speaking in tongues, like, we have all these questions, and actually, that might lead to us maybe looking for the gifts, looking for these manifestations themselves, without actually um, thinking about the bigger picture of what they're for. Alternatively, maybe, um, maybe all that kind of stuff kind of makes you less likely to think about it. You might actually play down the work of the Spirit because you don't understand what's going on. But we see here that the Holy Spirit isn't an optional part of God's plan. He's, he's not only for certain denominations. He's not only for certain people. We can't just ignore the Holy Spirit if we, if we don't understand him. And we, we can't only focus on the Holy Spirit because he's part of this bigger plan. Um, in, in that last chapter of Luke, uh, in verse 49, Jesus says, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. And then, again, in, uh, in verse 33 of, of chapter 2 of Acts, um, we hear that Peter says, um, Jesus received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit and has poured this out that you, are see- that, that you are seeing and hearing. This promise of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. It's not, um, it's not just something that we can ignore. We have um, in the Old Testament the, the, the aspect of, of the Trinity that we see the most probably is the Father, right? We hear about his judgment. We hear about his, um, his decisions for his people. And then in the Gospels, we see Jesus, right? Jesus is the cornerstone, the point where it all changes. Um, but after Jesus has ascended, we're left with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is um, the person of God who is, who is here among us, among all of God's people, and the way that God works in these last days. We don't have um, pillars of, of cloud and fire coming down from heaven. We don't have Jesus walking around that we can, um, that we can just ask to, to show miracles to people. We have the Holy Spirit instead. Uh, do I have this on here? No. Uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, verse 12, 
um, we hear about the Holy Spirit, um, chapter 12, in, in verse 7. Um, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith according to the same Spirit, to another gift of healing, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This common good that it talks about, the common good that uh, the Spirit is given for, is the work of the church. Um, it's easy for us to just become insular and just think about how can we, how can we build up ourselves as a, as a little, as a community, as a, as a club. But actually the mission that Jesus left with his disciples, the mission that he left with us was to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And for that, the Spirit is given to us. So um, here are the questions that I asked earlier. Uh, do you let the Holy Spirit guide you? Do you... Do you wait for the Holy Spirit? Do you trust in his power to do the miraculous? Is the fruit of your gifts pointing to the gospel? And maybe if you're not a Christian, are you, are you called to repent like the people in the, uh, in the chapter? Are you, are you called to repent, be baptized, be saved, and be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit can be uh, really mysterious in how he moves. But actually his purpose, his mission, is quite clear. It's to draw attention to the cross, the meaning of uh, why we call ourselves Christians, right? The gospel, salvation. It's to bring salvation to as many people as possible. The Holy Spirit is a foundational part of this kingdom vision. Without the Holy Spirit, the gospel's not going to go anywhere. I don't know about... Uh, about you, but when I look at those disciples, I'm not looking down on them and saying, oh, these guys are, uh, are commoners and I'm not. These guys are, are rubbish at their, well, not rubbish, but these guys have no potential and I have potential. No, it's like the same thing. It's that imposter syndrome. Well, it's not really imposter syndrome. It's true. Um, I can't go out and, and evangelize and tell people about Jesus effectively by myself. I just can't do that. I need the Holy Spirit. Um, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. And that might be through miraculous signs, that might be through physical power, through, through, uh, through miracles, or it might be through empowering us to know how to speak. We don't know how the Holy Spirit is going to come. The disciples didn't know that the room was going to fill with, uh, with, with wind and fire. Um, but actually, we, we know that the Spirit will come and that he will give us that power. It's this transforming power that gives us the ability to tell others about the gospel. We, we kind of focus so much on our own performance in life, right? Um, actually, it's really easy to forget that it's not in our own power. We shouldn't be measuring ourselves by the world standards of how good we are at doing this. But actually, we need to let the Spirit fill us up and to move in power uh, through us. Uh, we, we're going to pray now. Uh, we're going to come to a time of worship. Um, and in that worship time, uh, just ask the Spirit to come. All right, just like the disciples, they were waiting in that room. We're, we're in this room. Let's, we, we'll spend some time waiting uh, on the Spirit uh, to empower us, to, to give us that, whatever it is, those miracles, that, that, uh, that power to take the gospel, to tell people um, about uh, this new life, about uh, salvation.
Yeah, so let's pray and we'll, and we'll come to a time of worship. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit. God, that's, that's all of you. We can't, we can't uh, know you without knowing all of those parts of you. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you to fill this place, to not just this room, but this church, this body of people, this community, this fellowship. Spirit, would you fill us up? Would you fulfill our potential to, to be your disciples, to, to be your messengers? God, would you send fire and wind to, uh, to just, uh, just give us that, that sense of mission, that sense of what we need to be doing? God, would you anoint every one of us here with, with your gifts, not just for the sake of having something cool to talk about, but for the sake of your name, Lord, that all of those gifts can point back to you. So, Lord, we're just going to wait on you as we come, as we have, um, as we have some worship. We're going to wait on your spirit, Lord.